from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. You're tuning in on Facebook Live. For those of you watching, Facebook.com backslash LiveNowDT. For those of you listening, it's MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. DT, and you can also get that mix LR feed by going to wakeupcalldt.com and going right to the homepage, and you'll be able to pick up mix LR there as well. So, we thank you so much for being a part of today's broadcast. And as you can see, we are inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios on 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, New York. And our right-hand column is proudly brought to you by Mon Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory. What's popping tells you what's coming up on each show as we do it live. From top to bottom is our topics from the beginning of the show all the way to the end of the broadcast. You just heard from Evan Adams. So you see that number one jersey. That is Julian Wiggum, and he is here with us right now, former Syracuse defensive back, a friend of mine, and always someone that I appreciate having on the broadcast. Julian, how you doing today? I'm doing well. How you, how you doing, Dan? I'm doing well, man. Doing doing all right. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously you and I talk about, you know, Syracuse a lot. I always appreciate your, your thoughts because uh, I, f- I feel like you put it together very eloquently and you can gather your thoughts really well. And, and, and it's something that I definitely appreciate you know having you on the show to talk with you about you know what you're thinking and what's going on but at the same time I want to give you a little shameless plug that it you know whenever I get you on the broadcast or we just sit and talk on the phone in general you, you can bring those thoughts together pretty concisely and and that's uh that means something because it's not an easy thing to do always so I appreciate that uh, absolutely man I appreciate the compliment man I uh nice to know I'm doing well <laughs> <laughs> yeah no absolutely so we're here we're talking about Syracuse. This is what's going on right now this morning. The Orange are one and two. They, you know, just lost 41 to six at home inside of the Carrier Dome. The fans had wanted college game day originally. I had hoped for college game day to come out. And then, you know, after the loss on the road by 43 points at Maryland, you knew it wasn't going to happen. But this game, and, I, and this kind of where I want to start, I feel like Syracuse beat themselves more than Clemson beat them. I'm not here to take anything away from Trevor Lawrence. I'm not here to take anything away from Dabo Sweeney and, and the crew. I'm just here to really take a look back at this game that I sat and watched from the press box, and it felt like Syracuse just missed a ton of opportunities. The defense did what I thought was a very good job against Trevor Lawrence, but ultimately the Syracuse offense didn't come away with any points and we'll get into a deeper part of that in a second. But, you know, how do you assess it? Do you feel like Clemson outright beat Syracuse, or do you think that Syracuse kind of helped them out? No, I, I, I'm right there with you. I think Syracuse helped Clemson out much more than they should have. I mean, there were certainly opportunities for them to take advantage uh, of the game, and 
they just didn't seem to have either the firepower or the, the ability to do so. I'm, I'm sitting there on several occasions like, oh, man, this is drop, especially after the Chris Frederick interception. I think the still game was, what was it, 14-3 or, or 17-3. still a close game. Yeah. And DeVito's inside of his own red zone and gives the ball right back. And if I can feel that from the uh, across my television, then I know that guys on the field felt it as well. I don't think fans uh, appreciate this enough. Like some of the feelings they have watching the game, players share that. You know, if they go out there, especially if you're on the defensive side of the ball and you just make a play and you start to feel like the momentum is on your side and then all of a sudden you give it right back to them, on the, uh, give them right back to Clemson, I, that's that's deflating. And it seemed like on a number of occasions Syracuse did this. I, I forget what the red zone numbers were, but at one point I think it was like uh, 0 for 4, 0 for 3 at some point. And I'm like, what are we doing? Like, we need to take advantage of these opportunities, just putting points on the board. And for whatever reason, Syracuse just couldn't do that. And I think if at any point in the game they could have put up a touchdown here, a touchdown there, and taken advantage of some of the turnovers they were creating, uh, I think it could have been a much different game. Well, yeah, there was definitely a point, you know, with, and like you had brought up, with Syracuse down 17 to 3, very easily. I mean, at one point, it could have been that Syracuse could have come back 24 to 6. They were down. They get the interception, the first one by Chris Frederick, return it to the Clemson 9. They're inside of the red zone for Clemson. And then the very next one that they, you know, very next Trevor Lawrence possession for Clemson, they intercept it again. Trill Williams comes back 41 yards to the Clemson 3. You look at that, that should have bare minimum been 24 20. Clemson instead it's 24-6 and then they continue to roll from there Syracuse did not score in the second half two turnovers on downs on top of multiple punts and just a bunch of mistakes plus an interception you know it's going back to those moments and that's what I wanted to get into is that the defense had set Syracuse up you intercept the guy who's considered to be in his recruiting class the number one quarterback recruit in the country. To some people, the number one overall recruit of all positions in the country. Then he comes in as a true freshman and wins a national championship. And now he comes back into the Dome. You intercept him on back-to-back possessions, put them on their heels, get inside of their 10 both times, and come away with zero points. You know, If you're the defense, like you said, and you played on the defense, and you were a DB on the defense, to get an interception, come off the field, and see the team give it right back or come up with no points, it's extremely deflating because you did your job, and so you kind of just set it up, and you want, I mean, it's like it's like volleyball. You see, It's that bump, that set. You set that. Now you want the offense to spike it, and they come away with nothing. Yeah, and, that, and that's frustrating, too, and this is, this is where I get worried because I've been on some teams, uh, one in 2012, uh, I forget where we start. I think it was maybe uh, one and four, one and three. Uh, NASA had started off uh, poorly. The defense had been playing well outside of that Northwestern shootout in the first game. Uh, but defense had been playing well for the next three or four games, yet we were uh, on the roll to look like another three and nine, four and eight football team. Again, this is 2012. And I remember one, one day in the locker room, uh, a guy walks up, I think it was uh, Brandon Sharp, I'm not sure, can't, one of the defensive linemen guys. And there's like, you know how guys are in the locker room just going back and forth, uh, yeah. just kind of, you know, shooting at each other. But it, all of a sudden, it was a real shot taken where it's like, man, well, if the offense can finally get it together, maybe we might win some games. And, and it was like, oh, 
oh, oh, oh, oh what's <laughs> going on right here? And of course, me, the little freshman, I'm just going to sit this one out and <laughs> try to see what happens. But it turned into a big thing where we've got uh, six, seven, eight guys uh, from the offense and then from the defense going back and forth. Like, well, if you did this and you did that. And all it took was uh, Shamarco finally came out. And, you know, when Shamarco spoke, that was, you know, the final word, right? So he finally decided, okay, defensive guys, y'all shut up because you could have done this better. You could have done this better. But then he comes back to the offense. Yeah. And started, it, was, it was a bunch of receivers and says, hey, well, at the same time, and just, you know, kept bringing out receipts and telling the, telling the facts. Like, hey, man, if you caught this and you did this better, we could win. And all of a sudden, like from that point on, though, we we went on and had a winning season. I think it was eight and four that year, bowl game, pinstripe bowl, and things worked out for us. So it, on the inside, I'm sure there's a little bit of turmoil going on between players because defensive and offensive players do have that struggle sometimes where they feel like they're carrying the burden and they're looking at the other side of the ball like, hey, man, we're supposed to be a team. What are y'all doing? So there, there's moments inside that locker room where I'm sure it's happening now. Um, and it, it's it's one way or the other where sometimes it workouts work, works out for the best. And other times, you know, there's another story where uh, the kid from Oklahoma, uh, he came in and uh, Dyshawn Davis came up straight to his face like, yo, bro, you suck. Like, yeah. I'm tired. I'm tired of it. And that just deflated him. And the season just didn't go well because there was a lot of guys just not on the same page and throughout the, I think we had a three and nine. That was like 2014. Uh, I think it was 13, I think. So, uh, you know, things, sometimes things work out in the inside locker room. They work it out. Other times they don't. So I think it's up to this team right now to regroup and really have some leadership to say, Hey, this is what we need to do to get back on track. And with Western Michigan coming in, they're going to need to do it soon. Speaking here with Julian Wiggum of Syracuse Orange Football History and a good friend. Julian, what, where is the leadership? I know you're not in the locker room, but do you see any leaders out there right now? Any guys that maybe you've spoken to? Any guys that you've been around? Maybe, you know, something that you're seeing on the field itself? I mean, are there leaders on this team that you can maybe pinpoint and say, you know, these are the guys in the locker room? Like like you said, they got to get it together. There might be, you know, some frustration in the locker room like your teams have had in the past. Is there someone on the team right now that you feel like could be that that guy or those guys to lean on a little bit? You know, it, it, it's actually tough because my answer would have been DeVito because I've seen him when I was on campus uh, still doing the Newhouse stuff and I would go, we kind of shared the same areas like the little student center and shine and whatnot. And whenever I saw him, he had a posse. Like there was four or five, six different dudes with him, but he was always in the front and he initiated every conversation. And I, I don't know how away you, your followers are and like just social dynamics of football players, but the guy in the front, that talks to the girl first or the guy in the front that initiates every handshake, he's the leader of the group. And typically if he's the leader in a little small sub pockets of the team, he's one of the guy, the more vocal guys that he's a leader on the team in general. And also him being quarterback puts him in a leadership position. And when I always saw DeVito, it seemed like he had that aura about him, that it factor that guys naturally gravitated towards. He was the guy that everyone hung out with. And, it seemed to me that he was that leader for this team. He was going to be the guy that stepped into that role people were comfortable with. But when the play doesn't back it up 
And there's moments where you're kind of looking at him like, hey, what's what's going on with this guy? What's up? Um, I think it's difficult to be a vocal leader, especially when you're playing on the field, you know, isn't showing much leadership itself. Um, and that's where I'm, I, I worry because on the defensive side of the ball, I don't think people are – there's anyone established enough uh, – with their play and their experience to really step up as a vocal guy. I mean, Chris Frederick, he, he's, I think, the most experienced uh, defensive player one of the, with the most credentials, but he's not a vocal leader. He's someone who he just goes out there, he'll, he'll laugh with you, um, but then he goes out on the field and shows it, and he'll have his moments, but he's not someone who, who's going to try to talk you up and, and really get you motivated verbally. Uh, again, it just doesn't seem like on the defensive side of the ball that there's that – Shamarco Thomas this year, you know, there's that Chris Slayton isn't there. There's no Dyshawn Davis. The guys, those vocal leaders who also back it up. I don't think there's enough experience on that defensive side of the ball yet, um, even though they're playing well. And that's what worries me. You just got a bunch of guys, and the person who's supposed to be the leader of your team, uh, he's struggling. So that's where my worry is, and I think that's where Coach Babers, as a head coach, is really going to have to step up this year and be that leader for this team and allow someone to grow into those roles. Um, coming in, I thought this was going to be a, a veteran group. Um, but right now, I, I don't, I don't want to say I'm questioning the leadership, but I'm certainly waiting for it to uh, arise because right now is when it's, it's the most needed. This is when things can be very divisive inside of a locker room, and this is where you need those leaders to step up. And the guys who I thought would step into those roles are struggling themselves. So it, it's a very difficult process when you're supposed to be a leader and you're not playing like one. It's hard to tell the next guy he needs to be better as well or try to motivate them to be better. So this is a, a, a very difficult moment, a pivotal moment for Syracuse because leadership has to step up. And that, and, and, and otherwise, this season could go sideways quickly. Yeah, you know, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. Speaking here with Syracuse football alum Julian Wiggum this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios. Not having that leadership that, you know, that you brought up, the Shamarcos and the Chris Slaytons and the whatnots, you know, that's, that, that is a concern. And like you said, you know, Tommy DeVito, you're the quarterback. You're supposed to be the leader. Let's get into the, the, the TD saga that's going on right now. It's been very difficult for me to hear some things. You know, uh, there was people throwing things in the stands, allegedly, and, and, and just being real nasty uh, about Tommy DeVito. Now, this is a guy who they bought into. This is a guy who they bought into the hype and he's you know in the elite 11 and one of the best high school quarterbacks in the nation and he's going to be tremendous and look at the arm that he has and oh my god he stepped in and helped to help Syracuse beat Florida State and helped him beat North Carolina and yada 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 and then we get to this season and we're a few games in and people want to put his head on a stake and he's horrible and after this game well before this game but definitely after this game 99% of what I heard from Syracuse fans were God, this guy Dungey's awful. Or Dungey's, God, this guy DeVito's awful. They got to get rid of DeVito. I'm so sick of DeVito. Why is DeVito out there? Dan, who's the quarterback behind DeVito? But the funny thing about this is, last season, I made a statement. And that statement has come true. I said, in the middle of this season, it is Dungey's final season. And so many of you hate him. 
Hate that he runs. Hate that he puts his body on the line. Why has he got to take the ball himself? Does he have a, you know, can he throw the ball down the field? Does he have good arm strength? Does he this? Does he that? I can't stand him. And I said, I will tell you this and I will tell you this right now. Most of you will appreciate Eric Dungy. But the majority of you will appreciate Eric Dungy when he's gone. So I hope, and this is not a knock on DeVito because I'll get to another part of this, but I said my hope for you as a Syracuse fan is that you appreciate Dungy while he's here and not after his eligibility is done. But unfortunately, I think the majority of you are going to love him when he's gone because unfortunately in the world we live in, some people don't appreciate what they have until they don't have it anymore. <laughs> yep. So where, what's your stance on this? Because all I'm hearing now is, oh my, if we had Dungy for just one more game, and I'm like, you had Dungy for four years and you didn't love the man, and now all of a sudden it's that ex-girlfriend where you call in at 3 o'clock in the morning saying, baby, come home. And that's what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're spot on. And you know what? Um, you know, I, I sipped the orange juice a little bit too. Um, I, I was thinking, you know what? I, and it wasn't so much let me get – uh, Dungy out of here, I'm ready for the next guy. Uh, more so, oh, DeVito's supposed to be so great for this offense, I can't wait to see him play. Yeah. Uh, but all of a sudden, we're starting to get more and more evidence of what this offense is about. And my, my fear right now is that there's, there's much more outside of DeVito. And the quarterback position is going to take heat. It gets uh, way too much praise, and it gets uh, way too much criticism at the same time. And right now, I think DeVito's getting much more criticism than he deserves. Um, yeah. There's problems on the offensive line. Uh, receivers aren't doing what they should be doing, running uh, poor routes. They're not doing what they should be doing in scramble situations. And I think they a lot of moving parts on the offense have uh, hurt DeVito in more ways than one and made him look bad. Um, you got me excited right now, Dan, because this is like what I live for media-wise. When I was playing, right, when I was at corner, yeah. Uh, there was a lot of stuff on me that was, oh, you know, this guy, Julian Wiggum, he sucks, man. And, and it went from my sophomore year, had three picks, playing well, uh, led the team in interceptions before I got injured, uh, came back, uh, played well early on, and all of a sudden things started going bad. There was stuff getting caught in front. And it's like, man, that Wiggum kid, what's up with him? I don't like him. Get him out of here. And then articles start, why is Julian Wiggum getting beaten? Starting to go after me. And I'm like, yo, dude. I know it seems like I'm one-on-one -on -one every time, but, you know, this is a zone defense. You know, I, I, there are other things. My safety's not where he's supposed to be. There's supposed to be a linebacker underneath. And it used to frustrate me when people would put all the pressure on me as one guy when football is more often than not a team game. Sure, corners play man, but we were a zone defense. There was much more going on. And I think it's a very similar situation here with DeVito and that there is much more going on than just him making a bad read. I think Coach Babers came out and defended him uh, not too long ago on Monday, you know, it, uh, talking about it's a happening. Uh, this is a happening of the offense, but it's not what is happening on offense. But I can tell you what's happening. There's, there, there's a few things, and for one, it seems like teams have the bead on Syracuse's offense. Uh, they can't throw the football on the outside because teams have been able to match up man-to-man, -man, which isn't good. That tells me there's a lack of uh, receiving talent or the ability to separate, which needs to be figured out quickly. Uh, the offense typically has a number one guy, and this year it, they don't seem to have one. As, as much as I love Tristan Jackson or as much as I thought uh, Taj Harris is going to be a guy, um, they haven't shown themselves this year in the capacity that I thought they would. Uh, and then on the insides, everyone's saying, why is Syracuse only running the ball uh, on 
the on the interior. Well, if they lock up on the outside and then they have three down linemen and linebackers who can come up and make plays, this offense is going to be shut down. And there's not much any quarterback could do in that situation. So there's a lot going on on this offense where guy where they're schematically getting beat, um, individually getting beat, and not uh, playing at, at the level that, that they should be. And it's starting to hurt the quarterback play. And that's why I, I feel for DeVito right now because he, he's in a bad situation. He's got a, a poor line. Uh, he's not on track with his receivers right now due to injuries in the preseason. The timing is off. And a lot of these things are difficult to overcome early on time. And that's why I'm, I'm happy for the opponents that they have coming up between Western Michigan, Holy Cross, uh, lesser opponents in the ACC, but then they have time to figure this thing out. Uh, but but right, there's so many moving parts of this offense that uh, make it hard for me to blame one guy. I think DeVille is going to be okay. We were saying the same thing about Dungy early on in his career. Well, you know, and the thing that I thought was really cool on uh, yesterday's show is that Nathan Trout came on, and Nathan Trout played a kicker in the mid to late 90s, and he was on the team with Donovan McNabb, and he said, listen, Dan, they wanted Donovan McNabb off the team. And, you know, and, and he's like, you know, they, they wanted to get rid of him. And he's like, Don McNabb can tell you about that and, and everything that he went through that he wasn't good enough. I mean, I remember the day that I was down in Florida. It was Easter break. And my mom was, you know, she got all her stuff. My dad's laying on the, on the bed. I'm watching, I'm glued to the TV. The draft is on. The, the draft used to be different back then. It was, you know, back in April and it would be on early and it wasn't prime time. And so it's round number one. And my mom's got her makeup on. She's putting on, you know, suntan lotion. She's like, I'm going out to the pool. I was like, I got to see Donovan McNabb get drafted. And she looked at me and she goes, well, he better get drafted damn quick. And so, and, and he did. He got drafted second. I remember Tim Couch went first. And then I remember seeing Donovan McNabb. And I got to meet Donovan when he thought, you know, when he was like, you know, nobody knows that I'm somebody right now. Like, nobody believes in me. It was before, you know, he really started playing well. And I had met him back then. And, you know, and, and so him and I had spoken. So I took this personally. So he gets drafted number two. And I remember two things about that. The fans booed him and they were all wearing Eagles Ricky Williams jerseys and they were so upset. And then the second thing about that is my nose was like up to the TV and my mom goes, did he get drafted? I go, yeah, ma, he went two overall. She goes, good, put your swimming trunks on and let's go. So, I mean, because <laughs> mom, mom is no joke, but. You know, I remember, like like Nate said, he's like, Donovan went through it at Syracuse. He went through it at Philadelphia. I can't tell you how many Philadelphia fans have said to me, he sucks. I hate him. He couldn't lead us anywhere. Why did he do this? Why did he do that? He was such garbage. And I go like this to every quote-unquote true Philly fan. I go, who was your quarterback before Donovan McNabb? Oh, oh, oh. Exactly. Exactly. Who led you to multiple championships inside of your division? Oh, oh, exactly. Who's the guy that got you to the Super Bowl with numbnuts Terrell Owens? Exactly. So it's like, you know, the reality of it all is he did his job, but he got ridiculed for it. And so many quarterbacks get ridiculed for that, oper- for you know, for being at that position no matter what they do. And exactly what I said was going to happen, happened. I said, y'all hate on Dungy, but the moment he's gone, you're going to wish he came back and the fans came out, Dan, where's Dungy? Dan, I miss Dungy. You know, can I, can, can we get some eligibility back from him? What's he doing now? Can he come over to my house and give me a hug while I watch the game? I mean, it's, 
It's just the reality of the fact that when you play quarterback or you're a head coach, you are the first one right and the first one wrong. And it's just the unfortunate of, of being in the position. So what is your advice to, and you know what, Terrell, I'm sorry that I said numb nuts. Everybody knows you're a pain in the tush, but I shouldn't have said words. Okay. I love you, Terrell. I hope you're having a great life. I just would never want to be in a locker room with Terrell Owens, but I'd probably rather be in a locker room with Owens than Antonio Brown. So really, really though, like really, really, but we can talk about some stuff in a minute, Julian, because my mind's going a mile a minute right now. I got some thoughts for you on one of the DBs that I'm done with. But so what's your advice to Tommy DeVito? Because here's this man that everybody's up his butt. Like he's going to be great. He's going to be awesome. Oh my God, I love him. He can throw the ball. He's going to be fantastic. He's going through a lot of this right now. I spoke to his family. They said he doesn't read anything. He doesn't even look at it. What's your advice to Tommy right now? Yeah, you know, he's he's already taking it. You know, just stay out of the outside. You know, I, I would give him the, the Jalen Hurts Alabama advice. You know, don't take the rap voice. Don't you know uh, bite on any of whatever's going on in the media, what fans say about you, whatever you may get. And it's tough with social media too. Like you, you try to pull away from all the outlets, reading the Syracuse.coms or whatever it is out there, and uh, they'll still come to you. They'll come to you on Twitter. They'll come to you on Instagram. Uh, social media beca- can become a beast and, and find you even when you aren't looking for it. Um, so for him, I, I just say, you know, isolate yourself, and not in a way that you're, you're totally alone, but stay around your guys. Stay around the guys who motivate you. Talk to your family. Stick around. And it's not about proving anybody wrong. You know, you don't want to go out there and try to fight the naysayers. Just go. There's plenty of people who still support you. You know, you and I, we're sitting here supporting the veto. There's there's his family. Uh, there's people inside of his locker room that obviously support him because if he does well, they do well. So there's plenty of people who are supporting you. And the goal is to prove them right. Prove them right on, on your ability. You know, there's plenty of people who still believe in you as that four-star Elite 11 quarterback recruit who's supposed to come and take Syracuse to New Heights. And there's still an opportunity to do that. The loss here to Pitt and, and, and the loss here, I'm sorry, to uh, Clemson and, and Maryland, it reminds me of last year at Pitt where a lot of people like, oh, man, including me. I said, damn, you might be basketball season. But just worried about what was going on. And then all of a sudden things take back off. So there's still a chance to figure this thing out. It's just a matter of getting back to yourself tuning out that noise and getting back to your game, putting in the extra hours. Uh, it's it's just a matter of focusing on what you need to do as a quarterback, as an individual, and just trying to galvanize this team back together because right now if you get lost in the shuffle of what people are saying about you on television, radio, or on, or in the newspapers, man, that's, that's the, that, that can end you because I, I've done that. I, I was used to, and again, it was me being the media kid that always just liked to to read the newspapers like i had i always loved you know being in the newspapers listening to radio shows watching the, the tv shows uh sports center and such and it got weird when they started talking about me and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> it got strange when, when you see your name on the bar or you see your name in the headlines and uh it, it, it just it's uncomfortable and i don't think it's good for athletes uh, mentally to, to get, let their head get into that stuff. I mean, check out Kevin Durant and all that, you know? So yeah, yeah. the advice for him is just, you know, stick to what you're doing, stay out of the media, um, improve the people who believe in you right because that's, that's what really matters. And I think if you put that energy into yourself rather than trying to give it back to all the people talking about you, I, I think you're much better off. 
Yeah, you know, and the thing is, is, is like you said, you know, we're here supporting him, you know, we're here hoping the best for him. And I've said it on the show before, and you and I have spoken about this. I mean, you and I are friends. You know, we talk to each other. I mean, for God's sakes, you drove five hours to hang out for a little bit. And, you know, like moments like that for me, I'll remember forever more so than any tackle you had or interception that you had is that like that to me is true friendship. So, you know, I I mean, we wouldn't have that if I was your typical media person. You know, we would not have that relationship because there were times where I saw you on the field struggle and there's times where I saw you on the field do good stuff. But there was never a time that, you you know, I feel like if, if you felt attacked, then, you know, we wouldn't be on the phone right now. And there's a way to talk about it. And, and I brought it up before the season started. I said, listen, Tommy is going to need some time because, you know, being the backup who becomes the starter for a game or two is not being the outright starter. The offensive line took five years to build. It's going to take some time to rebuild this thing, just like it took time to build the defensive line to what it is right now. And the secondary is 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 strong and it's deep and maybe the deepest it's been in, you know, like I said, in over a decade. Maybe this team is doing, you know, what they're doing. But I remember the Philip Thomases and, and obviously you played out there and Shamarco is a, is a very good friend of mine. I love what Shamarco has done with his time there and Donovan Darius way back in the day that I love to watch. So, you know, there's there's a lot of talent that's come through, but the linebacker core has gone through losing veterans the last two years. So that's going to take time. So I look at all of this and, and, and see it and say, look, this is what I warned everybody about. Linebacker, offensive line, quarterback, and it's exactly what's happening right now. But there's a way to say that constructively where I'm not attacking Evan Adams. I'm not attacking Andrew Armstrong. I'm not attacking Tommy DeVito. I'm saying these are the areas where we need some growing pains in order to get to the promised land, but the fan base can't be screaming and booing and when's basketball season and I hate my life when these guys are going through points that they're going to go through. I saw this because I would like to think after almost 17 years that I can see what's going on in the sports world. But at the same time, I want Tommy to come out and throw five touchdown passes against Western Michigan. I want this offensive line to figure out who fits best where, lock it in and go forward. I want to see Andrew Armstrong be up for, you know, linebacker of the week. I want to see, you know, him and Lakeem Williams do their thing and whatnot. So as you know, and I know, there is a way to cover a team, constructively criticize, and want them to get better and establish the fact that above all things, you respect them as human beings and you know that 99.9% of the people that are saying they could do it better would pass out if they were on the field. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's what my mom used to say too all the time. Like, why are you worrying about criticism from, you know, Joe from Liverpool who could never do what you're doing right now. Just stick to what you're doing. And I, I, I believe what you're saying, you know, wholeheartedly here. We're, and at the end of the day as well, when it comes to, uh, you know, at least college athletics, we're talking about amateurs here. Like, how hard would you criticize an intern that you have, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, you don't go and you know, try to, you know, bludgeon these kids and, and, and knock them down and say, hey, you're not good, you're terrible, this is how you like, These kids are essentially interns, learning how to play football, getting an education on the side, and I, I can't ever bring myself to say, this kid is horrible, this kid sucks, like, and, and just go up on, because they're, they're learning. The college game is much different from high school. Some guys come in and do well, some guys take, and, and take a little bit of time, um, and some end up being, you know, future NFL stars. So, it, 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 when it comes to criticizing college athletes, man, I, I 
always err on the side of at least make it constructive. But I can never go out and, and, and take the individual and, and say, you know, this guy needs to be uh, totally replaced or get this guy. And, you know, because at the end of the day, uh, these guys are college athletes. Uh, they're amateurs. They're essentially interns. And if I ever was, you know, in corporate world and I had intern, I'd never, uh, you know, try to single this guy out and tell him how terrible he is rather than try to build him up and how to help him get better. So uh, I'm right there with you. And, you know, th- there's plenty of room for DeVito to grow. He has so many traits that you look for in a, a great um, in a great quarterback. So he'll come along, and I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah, you know, and, and the thing about these, these growing pains and, and everything that he's going through, I mean, I haven't seen him command this offense. I haven't seen that yet. But I think that that's part of something that, you know, you go through and it's earned and you got to get there. I haven't seen his confidence on the field. I haven't seen his poise in the pocket. And I haven't seen, you know, his command of taking the reins of this offense. At the same time, I haven't seen him get protected. And obviously this offensive line is trying to get things right. I think at one point in the game against Clemson, there was .8 seconds. They hiked the ball. He didn't even have a second. He put his helmet down, got hit, was on the ground, because as soon as they hiked the ball, two guys ran through. And, you know, I mean, it's like, obviously Clemson is good. And for everyone's, oh, Clemson lost their entire defensive line. I mean, Clemson's defensive line is set up for until like 2046 at this point. They're always going to have people coming in. I said Clemson and Alabama are, are teams that could literally lose everyone and still win a national championship the next year because that's where they are in recruiting and that's how it is. So, you know, this this Syracuse offensive line has, has had some struggles. So let's go to that because you constructively look at it, but I respect Aaron's service. I re, you know, I've spent time with Aaron. I've spent time with Evan Adams and Sam Heckel. Carlos Vettorello's new to it as a redshirt freshman. Ryan Alexander transferred in. You know, Patrick Davis and Dakota Davis trying to find their footing here. What can you say about this O-line? Because against Clemson, sometimes it looked like there was – no guard for Tommy DeVito. And at the same time, I know that these guys are working hard to try and figure things out. And right tackle, left tackle, and center is still kind of up in the air right now. I know they're trying to figure it out. But on the depth chart, it keeps saying or, which means that, you know, that this coaching staff is not confident 100% on who's going where right now. What are you seeing from the offensive line? Um, so essentially just about what everyone else is seeing, uh, a struggling group. And uh, they're struggling because of a number of reasons. One, uh, it seems like the inexperience uh, is hurting them uh, in terms of picking up blitzes, uh, understanding uh, where to go when you've got a three-man rush and covering guys down. Uh, just little stuff where you can see on the replay, guys are looking at each other like, uh, was, was I supposed to be there or was that you? And that's mental stuff. That's, that's just film study. That's inexperience. That's guys uh, not sure where to be. Uh, and that, that's where you worry. And that's why guys have an or next to their name because coach trying to figure out who can I put in there that knows what, what to do. That, that's the biggest issue for the offensive line right now rather than talent. Then, on, then when you start to look at the talent issue uh, where guys are getting run by and people are, str- are getting by them seemingly with ease, uh, that, that, that develops. That, that comes with, with time on the field. That comes with more practice time. That comes with uh, chemistry with the rest of your offensive line. And uh, the offensive line, listen, I was a corner when I played, right, for 
90% of my career. And the offensive line is one of the most foreign uh, position groups to me as a defensive back, right? But with the, the ones I've talked to, just getting an understanding of that group, they say it, it's just like the secondary where you're relying on your safety or you're communicating with the linebacker and you're trying to talk to the guy next to you to say, hey, you've got this, I've got that, and we block this thing down. You know, for the offensive line, it, it's all about communicating and knowing where to be. And right now, they don't seem to have that. And that's why they have an or next to their names because coach trying to figure out where can I put a guy where he has chemistry and he knows what to do and he knows how to block this down because you really can't have guys not sure how to block down a blitz or allowing a three-man rush to get to the quarterback. And that's what's hurting this offense right now. You know, it's built on getting to the outside, throwing the ball to the outside, using those option routes in the slots and taking some shots downfield. And when you spread a defense out – on the inside is where all the running lanes should be. Once teams are giving you those three-man rushes, those three-man fronts, those four-man fronts, you should be able to run up the gap, A gap, B gap, and be able to make some plays because the linebackers are spread out, the secondaries all spread out, and they shouldn't be able to get to the ball. The problem is, on the interior, they're still allowing people inside. Linebackers are making their way up front. Uh, they're getting stops at the line of scrimmage with just a three-man front with one linebacker. Like, there's no uh, there's no rushing attack. There's nowhere to throw the ball. Teams are locking up on the outside. And that's why I say it, it, it's really a layered issue here because when you are able to throw the ball in this offense, typically the run game follows. With, you know, at Bowling Green, uh, Coach Babers had two rushing, two running backs with five-yard per carry averages. And and that, that's how the offense should look when it's at its most successful, a rushing attack to complement the passing game. And right now, because there's no passing game, because Tommy DeVito doesn't have any time, and because receivers can't create any separation, the rushing game suffers because teams are able to match up on the outside, and then they play two talent. Maryland's a talented team defensively where they were able to do the same thing and show a three-man front and find ways with their linebackers to create extra pressure and get up the middle of the field. Um, it, it seems to be, a, a like I said, a layered issue here where the offensive line, both schematically and just from a, an output standpoint, just being a, a good football player, are struggling. And yes, the talent level is down right now on the offensive line, but you know that mentally they're not helping themselves either. And I think that's where Coach Babers and Coach Cavanaugh, the offensive line coach, can really step in and try to help this group and figure out a way to, to help DeVito have time to throw the football. Because yeah. once you start to open that up, then the rushing attack opens up, and then you won't have so much pressure on the inside where guys can take off. Um, it's not a, a talent thing. I mean, if you look at Middle Tennessee State from 2016, I, I think that was one of the least talented teams they played, defensively at least. I don't think they had any NFL guys or All-Americans or even really all-conference guys. Um, but the scheme itself was a 3-3-5, three linemen, three linebackers, and five defensive backs. And they were able to give Syracuse fits. Guess who was quarterback? Dungy. Um, and but they were locking up on the outside, bringing pressure from different places, and able to win up front with a three-man rush. You've got to be able to beat that some kind of way. And the way that you do is with talented receivers who can get separation, and then eventually finding a way to use those gaps once they actually have to lock up on the outside and focus on those receivers on the outside. 
then you can rush the football with the read option or or it just dives down the middle like they want to run the ball. So it's, it's a very uh, layered and complex issue with the offense, but the, I think the biggest key for them is stepping up mentally and understanding where they need to be because that'll help them play faster. And once you start to play faster and get a rhythm, that's how you improve as a football player. So I'm hoping these next few weeks, especially with lesser opponents like Western Michigan and Holy Cross coming up, that mentally they start to grasp the concepts and they start to play faster so that by the time they get to the ACC play, they're ready to go and they can really handle true talent on the opposite side of the ball. That all coming from Julian Wiggum this morning. Syracuse Orange DB alum played corner for Syracuse during his time with the Orange and is here with us this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios just minutes from the Carrier Dome on 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse and where you can get all your Syracuse gear as well as everything you're looking for as a man, whether you're dressing up or dressing down, Charney's is the local home for every single one of us. Julian, you talk about playing fast and, and you know, stepping up and being able to do this. Dungy had the opportunity of playing fast, you know, because of the way his game is, because he likes to take off with his feet. You know, that's something that we saw with him that could make sense. Mo Neal has been a chameleon to be able to kind of play anywhere with this. We saw, you know, Jarvion Howard have some success with the speed of it as well. Jamar, Jawar Jordan Jr., who's a true freshman that we haven't seen out there yet, but in the spring game, we saw a lot of speed from Jawar Jordan Jr. So we, we see all of that, and obviously Abdul Adams' ability to be a ground and pound back, but we have a pocket passer now. Syracuse has a pocket-passing quarterback that wants to step back, wants to stay in the pocket, wants to be given a little bit of time to survey the field, get the ball out, and do his thing. So here's my question. Is it a clash of talent versus system that Babers and his staff and Mike Lynch, the offensive coordinator, that they want to go fast, 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 but you have a more maybe methodical quarterback that wants to drop back, look around, and throw that ball down the field. And you got you got a stable of running backs that want to run it more traditionally. So should Babers almost say, okay, we want to go fast, but that's not what we have right now? I mean, how do you deal with, because I know you just described in great depth, you know, different systems and different schemes and things that have been utilized to beat Syracuse and, and what Syracuse can do. Are we at a place right now where DeVito and the backfield are not the let's run fast, 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 but let's be more pro style and let's, you know, kind of ground and pound and take him out of the game. And then once this offensive line starts to build some comfort with one another, let DeVito drop back and survey the field and send these guys down. It just feels like DeVito and these running backs are, are more pro style and more slow and methodical than let's outrun everybody. I would say to that, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> and and, and the right. only reason is because um, you've got guys, you know, outside of um, the, the transfer from Oklahoma, the guys have been here for three and four years. Um, Tommy DeVito is a redshirt sophomore. Um, Mo Neal, I think he's a, a senior now. Uh, so these guys have been in the system, and while you played three and four years in the system, that's kind of the player type that you become. 
right. especially um, a, a DeVito who came from a spread offense. I'm not. I don't think they had the same tempo at John Glasgow, but he had he came from a spread offense. Some of the concepts were familiar to him coming into Syracuse's offense. And then Moneal is a scat back. He's put on weight since he's gotten to Syracuse. I remember if you watch his his freshman year, his first touch was extra skinny he's put on some weight since then but he's still a a, a scat back type where he's going to try to make that one cut he's looking for the hole he's built for a zone blocking scheme that's built into Syracuse's offense and while there doesn't seem to be uh, the production that allows for tempo to happen when you get stopped at the you know the line of scrimmage or you get stopped at uh, after a one-yard game, that doesn't really help for a tempo offense. You're actually looking to move the football so that you're running downfield and starting next play rather than allowing the defense to just sit there on top of a play and, you know, you really slow you down. Uh, that's the problem with Syracuse's offense right now. Because they're not playing well enough where they're moving the football consistently, the tempo is, is hard to establish. You have to move the football first, and when you get stuffed for a one-yard loss and then you throw an incomplete pass, it is, your tempo's gone. <laughs> the clock is stopped. Uh, your offense is stagnant, and because Syracuse has such a stagnant offense right now, you're not really seeing the benefits of a tempo, and uh, for Babers, I don't think it's, it's a good thing uh, for him and his offensive scheme to all of a sudden change it because things aren't working. You stick with what you have, and you find a way to make it work. And that's kind of the offensive philosophy for, uh, or coaching philosophy for, you know, most of college. They don't typically just change their scheme entirely because they can't run it. And with Babers and all the success that he has had throughout his career, uh, especially as a head coach at Eastern Illinois and then at Bowling Green State, where teams go from winning, you know, five, six, seven games to all all of a sudden becoming 10 win seasons uh you don't just change because uh your players aren't uh, as effective as they should be you continue to coach it you continue to uh let your system play itself out and i go back to what coach baber said in his first season you know it takes some time and eventually it clicks and there's so many new guys on the offensive line that it reminds me of that 2016 season where he says, give it time, it'll click. And it didn't click for Syracuse, I think, until like year two. But it clicked in that game four to six period where Syracuse is at right now. So it just clicks midseason, they get it, they understand it. And you have to remember, you've got freshmen on the offensive line. You've got graduate transfers coming in to a whole new scheme yeah. on that offensive line. Uh, I think there's, what, three new starters right now? So guys are still letting it click and starting to get it. But as a quarterback, as a running back, I don't think – I actually think it would be, as a player, kind of disrespectful. Like, if all of a sudden I'm a man corner and I, if I keep getting beat, my coach is like, you know, we're just going to be a zone team now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would be kind of disappointed if I was a running back or a quarterback and things aren't working all of a sudden. Coach says, you know, we're going to slow this tempo down and you're going to become a pro-style team and or become a pro-style offense. And th- as a player, you, you need to get yourself right. You need to start to figure out where – how am I, why am I not doing what I need to do to get help this offense roll? So I think that as a coach is what you're starting to ask of your players to become more effective, how they fit to the scheme and how to make it work, showing them how and why it works and what they do yeah. that can help this offense work. So 
no, I don't think it'll be a uh, a change in the system or that there needs to be a change in the system, but rather guys figuring out how the system works and what they can do to contribute to it. I like that, where I was like, this is this, and this is that, and this is where it stands. So just out of curiosity, should you? Uh, hell no. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, but I get what you're saying. You know, they, they've been they've been here for so long that, yes. you know, if they couldn't play the position, well, then, you know, Dino would have had to go out and, and re-recruit, so to speak, and say, okay, we're going to get somebody else, and you're just going to kind of be the backup, I guess, you know, but... Yep. So, but, but they are different. I mean, Tommy, I feel like he wants to run the ball as his ninth option where Dungy would take it right away. And, and there was one play against Maryland that really stuck out where Tommy DeVito had rolled to the outside, had gone out toward the right sideline, and there was a gap between the line and the sideline. And that's where Dungy would have saw that. And he would have just darted right forward. I mean, for God's sakes, Dungy, if there was somebody there, would have darted forward. But with that opening, he would have taken it. DeVito ran out of bounds. Yes. So, you know, there, there's obviously a difference there. But I also I want to I want to say this because I don't I don't know if anybody's talking about this. But the reality of it all is I feel like this needs to be said. Tommy got sacked eight times against Clemson for a loss of 56 yards. But that could have easily been 12, 14 that the first strike on him, a lot of the time, where somebody gets through and grabs onto his shoulder, he's able to shake a lot of those initial and get out of the pocket. He always rolls to the right. I like to see him, you know, kind of get all over the place here. But he, I do want to give Tommy credit for something that I don't think anybody's given him credit for, which is a lot of the time that somebody gets that initial hand on him, he shakes it off and at least tries to get out to the outside and take a look down the field. No, I mean, the kid has pocket presence. Yeah. He's showing tools that, I don't, like you said, people aren't appreciating. The guy, and while he is, I think, more of a pocket passer, um, so is Jimmy Garoppolo at Eastern Illinois. And I think that that helps the offense go. Dungy just alleviated a lot of problems in terms of allowing pressure to get through when the offensive line didn't quite do their job. Um, but you're, you're right on time. I'm happy you brought it up. Uh, when it comes to DeVito, he's making plays in the pocket, doing the right thing, able to sidestep uh, pressure from the outside or how to roll out of the pocket when you get uh, pressure from the interior of the line. Uh, he does a great job doing that, and then he keeps his eyes downfield. And nine times out of ten, that's what you appreciate out of your quarterback. There were times last year and year, and really all of Dunn's career where they were like, oh, man, we wish he would look up fields for a receiver to make a play to and rather he would just take off and run and certainly you appreciate it if it helps and gets you a first down but there's usually and typically bigger gains to be made and what you usually ask of your quarterback uh, when you want to, to make a play throwing the football you want him to keep his eyes downfield and try to get that ball out to a receiver and the gains can be significant and actually much more beneficial to your team because one your quarterback isn't taking a hit rushing the football and two you're getting your receivers and your passing game going by throwing the football downfield and when you buy yourself time as a quarterback it makes it that much more difficult as a secondary to defend those receivers running around downfield and that's again what we've been talking about is receivers just not finding separation when DeVito steps outside of the pocket I've seen Nike Johnson just stand there and it's like you know the scramble drills, dude. You know how to go back to your quarterback. You know how to get back upfield. What are you doing? 
Or, you know, you just see guys who will stop or just seem like they don't know what to do when DeVito goes out to scramble. And maybe sometimes it's because he's scrambling so early that they're just finishing their route. And when they see him roll the other way, they're not sure where to go. But in these instances here, uh, we're seeing DeVito scramble out and show great tools as a quarterback. But again, guys downfield are letting him down. Or because he's so flustered, and again, he's a first-year starting quarterback, uh, he's so flustered, he'll make a mistake. Like the interception we saw against Maryland or uh, the interception against Clemson where he just kind of seemed to throw the ball right to him. Um those are instances where I think it's just a quarterback fluster trying to make a play, not seeing everything going on, um, and all of a sudden, bad things happen. So, again, football, it's its very simple, but there's very complex, uh, small and minute details happening very fast that um, make the quarterback position so difficult to play, and I think we're start, starting to see that out of the veto and all the working parts moving around him. Well, yeah, I think you miss a lot of things when you have a quarterback that's just running all over the place and not, you know, not leaving the opportunity for the pocket to necessarily break down or if it's broken down, he's already out of it. But I saw Tommy roll out a lot. He would just kind of dip that shoulder and get outside and say, okay, let me take a look and see what I have going on. I think he could do a better job surveying the field. I think that he could do, you know, a, a better job at getting rid of the ball and not holding on to it as long as he does at times. But again, this is his third game as the outright starter. And Julian, I want to I ask you about this before I get to something with the Jacksonville Jaguars that really pissed me off, and I think you know what it is, but I'll get to it in a second. There's two things that really pissed me off, but we'll get to it in a second. So for, for the position and, and where we're at with Tommy – Okay, he's three games in, and I and I spoke to the fans, and I said he needs to have time, and I got a response that said, you know, this is a BS excuse. He, you know, he's in college football, Division One. Like he doesn't need time. He's had time. I don't think that people truly get coming in as a backup quarterback to help Dungy to see that he's screwed screwed up on something and Dino takes him out for a second for a series and says, okay, you know what? I'm going to take the game away from you so that you appreciate it. You go take it right back and and then it works. Or Dungy's injured and Tommy's got to step in. So, you know, that's a lot different than you're the starter. The guy behind you is a transfer senior. The guy, you know, outside of that. I mean, if we look at the quarterbacks on the team right now, we have Rex Culpepper, who's gotten minimal time, who I love and, and I'm very close with, and I appreciate the heck out of this kid, but they put him on special teams. They made him a tight end. They made him a quarterback. David Summers is a true freshman. Clayton Welch is the redshirt senior transfer I talked about. Drew Gunther is a, is a freshman from Pennsylvania at quarterback. So that's all that's on the roster. There's little to no experience. Rex has the most experience behind Tommy DeVito, so, you know, I say give the man time. I say let him get comfortable. I say let him find his voice and let him find his command. And some fans are saying, well, he's a Division One player. He doesn't need time because if you play Division One, you should already be great. And I just don't agree with that because Peyton Manning won one game as a freshman in the NFL and threw more interceptions than anybody would be happy with. And Brett Favre, who a lot of people consider to be one of the most talented quarterbacks that did things kind of, you know, uh, atypically, 
he threw a ton of interceptions as well. I mean, and for God's sakes, I mean, Dan Marino threw his share of interceptions and, you know, so, and James Winston, number one overall pick, and the man throws a ton of interceptions. So I say give DeVito time because I think that that's what he needs to find comfort, especially when the offensive line, if the offensive line were veterans and they could protect him, and I mean, some of them are, some of them aren't, but if that makeup had been together for the last three or four years, we're talking about a different situation, but they're trying to figure themselves out. He's trying to figure himself out. I, God forbid, said, give, give them time because everything good in life takes time. I got attacked for it, but I still think I'm right. What do you think about time? No, I, I think you're right on with that. And he certainly does. And you can tell like, and it's fair that he needs and deserves it. Um, but I will say that there, there's a difference between uh, coming in as a backup quarterback and being the outright starter and coming in really as a backup in general. And what I mean by that is uh, there were certain times my freshman and my sophomore year where I wasn't the starter, but I would come in and because I was hungry for a starting spot, I think there was a bit of a, a more of a spark for me. And I've noticed it in a lot of guys early on when they want to get that starting position, at least they, they had the fire to do so. Uh, they play a little bit better uh, than expected or a little bit at a, at a higher level uh, than people anticipated. And I think we saw some of that from DeVito early on uh, in his career when he came in to spell Dungy at UNC against Florida State. Uh, but all of a sudden, when you take on that starting role, it's a different animal with the, with the level of responsibility that you have. Uh, when coaches looking to you and you don't have a true backup anymore, like you're the guy rather than someone that people will kind of just pass to every so often. It's, it's officially you to bring it up and for you to be making those decisions. And sometimes that adjustment uh, as a player, it, it forces him into an uncomfortable situation where he has to continue to adapt and grow uh, as a leader and take on, like I said, that responsibility. And I think that that's something that DeVito is dealing with right now in terms of becoming the starter, uh, being that leader on and off the field and knowing how to communicate with guys and finding a way to make this offense flow uh, for him. It, yes, he does need time and yes, it, that will come. Uh, but He's the guy, and he's in his this position now. He, this is something that all of Syracuse has known. He a play a, a spot he would be in now. We knew come his third season, it would be time for him to step into this role, and he's been groomed for it. Coach Babers uh, showed all of Syracuse who his guy was last year. Every time he would take Dungey out. You know, it, and usually that doesn't happen, especially with the senior guy so established as someone like Dungey. There were times where he would put DeVito in, just, hey, take a couple series. Western Michigan last year, for example. Take a couple series here. Take some series here. Pulling Dungey against UNC. Uh, you know, you know those instances showed that Coach believed in him and that there he was doing something in practice. He was taking reps with the ones in the offseason last year. You know, we've known for a while now he's supposed to be the guy and that this is his team, but it's going to take some time. And, yes, the school's quarterback, she names, uh, they threw interceptions. And while they were in there, they ended up turning into great players. But for DeVito, he's going to take his lumps right now because I don't think he's stepping into a situation where everything is perfect for him. He doesn't have the greatest offensive line. He doesn't have a number one receiver that 
most Syracuse offenses in that Dungey was blessed with. He had Amba at a towel. He had um, uh, Steve Ishmael, uh, even a Jamal Custis, guys that could bail him out of games where he could just throw the ball up to and they would take care of it. DeVito doesn't have that this year. Um, I thought Taj Harris, I, I think he's a good player. Uh, the, the transfer from uh, Michigan State, Tristan Jackson, he's a good player, but they aren't, or at least haven't grown into those true number ones that can bail a quarterback out of situation. So DeVito's kind of working on his own right now and allowing him to take these lumps and allowing him to make these mistakes and be that guy right now and take on this responsibility. I think he'll be better better for it. And I'm really hoping the pressure on him right now doesn't, you know, lead him to crumble. Because if he can grow from this man, I, I think that the talent level is going to continue to pick up for Syracuse. And, you know, at some point, whether it be the middle of this year or at some point next year, I think this team can, can really take off with him at the helm because he has so much talent. It's just a matter of, uh, finding a way to overcome a lot of the deficiencies right now in offense that uh, I don't think Dungey had to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking here with Julian Wiggum, Syracuse Orange football alum at the uh, cornerback position. And before I let you go, Julian, uh, there's so much to talk about. There's so many doors that have been open, but I have to ask you two questions about Jacksonville. Okay, number one. I have never known, and I don't know if you have, I've never known Doug Marone to to take chances and to go into a game like he did this past weekend at Houston and say, you know what, we've come all the way back, we're down 13-12, to we kick an extra point, we go in overtime, or we can go for the win. I'm not used to him going for the win. That's not something that I'm used to with Doug Marone. I'm not, I mean, I think I could count on one hand how many times he went for it on fourth down in four years at Syracuse. So, number one, were you surprised that happened? And, and number two, as a former corner, have you had enough of the Jalen Ramsey nonsense? And is it time to just go to a team and say, listen, give me two first-round picks and you can take this guy, and let's, go, let's move on with our lives? I mean, I have warned the world. I've warned Jaguars fans because I've been in the locker room. Not everybody could say that they've been in lock. I've been in the locker room. I told people about Yannick Ngakwe, Telvin Smith, Marcel Darius, and Jalen Ramsey last year. I told them about Ramsey a long time ago. And I said going into the season, why don't you trade Telvin Smith and trade Jalen Ramsey? Ah, Dan, you're nuts. You can't trade your best players. They're not just the best on the defense or the best on the team. Well, then what does Telvin Smith do? Hey, guys, I'm not going to call the team. I'm not going to tell Marone. I'm going to go on Instagram and let you all know that I'm not playing this year because I don't feel like it because I got some stuff going on. And I hope he's okay, but he's got a three years left on his contract, and he just decided he didn't want to play this year. He waited till after free agency, after trading, after the draft, so they couldn't get anybody to fill his spot. Not only that, but I said, okay, so you need to get rid of him. Nobody listened to me. Now they don't have him all season. I said, get rid of Jalen Ramsey. Best player on the team, Dan. You can't do that. That's crazy. Why would you get rid of him? Because he's a virus in the locker room. What does Jalen Ramsey do? Gets in a verbal spat with Doug Marone, and now allegedly he's being asked to be traded. So I'm not going to sit here and say, I told you so, but I did. So what are your thoughts on A, Doug Marone going for it, and what are your thoughts on Jalen Ramsey and three, you know, two weeks into the season, saying I don't really want to be on this team anymore, allegedly. Yeah, yeah. So with Marone going for 
two, one, yes, it is a little bit surprising because typically he, he takes the more conservative approach to his coaching style. But I will say um, there's been moments where he just it, it almost seems random to me. I, again, I only had him for a year, so I didn't get the chance. I didn't talk to him very much because he kind of scared me a little bit uh, when I came in as a freshman. So, uh, But it, it seemed random to me where he had these moments of fire and would decide, you know what? Let's go for the win right here. Let's do it. And like that that Bronx uh, brass nature of his comes out at random moments. It, again, it seemed random to me. Maybe in his mind it's a calculated effort where all of a sudden he feels this is a good moment. So, yes, it did seem strange to me that he did go for it because, again, he has that conservative style to his coaching approach. But – at the same time, it's like, oh, I can see why he would do that because he does have these spurts where it's like, you know what? Let's get it right now. Let's get it done. Let's do it. I'm all for it. Go get the win. So while he did go for two, I, I see where his uh, decision making could come from in, in terms of uh, going going for the game. Uh, on the other side, with Ramsey, listen, I – as a corner myself, I, mind I didn't have the same. I don't have the same mental makeup as Jalen Ramsey. I was never someone. I can't. Even, I've, I've snapped on Coach Shea before, but you know, there's there's moments where, as a player, you see something, and I don't know the relationship that Coach, Coach Marone and Jalen Ramsey have, yeah. but the moment where I, I snapped on Coach Shea once, and it wasn't it. It was kind of similar, but it was a different uh, scenario. I came off the field after – it was after an interception, and uh, I was feeling good. Uh, we made a play. It was against uh, Clemson, so it was a big moment. And I see Coach Shafe, and leading up to that point, he had always been saying, Julian, uh, we we want you to uh, uh, keep playing hard. Be, you know, eventually you're going to get some playing time more playing time, I'm going to feed you. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, you keep giving me lip service, and I'm doing well, and that's happening. So finally, I got the interception, and I came back to Coach Shape like, play me, mf play me. (laughs) It was was a moment uh, that really is not usually part of my character, but in that moment, it was just like, yo, dude, like, stop playing with me. I'm a guy you can trust. Like, let's go. And he kind of, I think he liked it. Like, he kind of faked like he did at the time. But he came back later on and, like, asked for that Julian Wiggum again. So I think he liked it. Um, But in terms of Marone and Ramsey and going back and forth, it seemed like he – Ramsey was like, yo, why don't you trust me? Where – I'm getting frustrated with the the miscommunication here where there may be – he's telling him one thing. I trust you. I believe in you. You're my guy. But then – when he wants a challenge flag and he wants his coach to go to bat for him, he doesn't do it. You know, and I think we've all uh, been in a situation where it's, it's a friend or whatever. And you're like, dude, you, you say all these things, but when I actually, you know, come to you, you're not there. Right. I think for Jalen Ramsey and Coach Marone, I think some of that was coming out. And then finally, Coach Marone, because of all the stuff that Ramsey's done, whether it's off the field and maybe some stuff internally, was finally just fed up with the way Jalen would would speak to him and the level of disrespect that he would come to his coach with. I think that those two boiling points and those two perspectives finally hit on and clashed on the sidelines. And that's where you see the blow up. And I understand Jalen Ramsey asking for the trade, 
But if I'm an owner or a GM of the Jaguars, I'm starting to think and, and side with you that, yeah, I probably should have gotten rid of Jalen Ramsey a while ago. Um, but, you know, talent just is, is so important in the NFL and priority number one, that teams will stick with guys maybe a little bit longer than they should, which can be detrimental. I think that's why the Patriots are always so good. They ship guys out so quickly. Um, so I understand both sides here, but I, I tend, typically I err on the side of management, surprisingly, but I, I agree. I think they probably should have moved Ramsey at an earlier point, especially with everything going on in Jacksonville now. Um, I, I think because I, I love Marone. I think he's a great coach. I don't want to see him lose his job, and I think it would be better for him if Jalen Ramsey was gone because you can't have those kinds of blow-ups. And while Jalen may have felt like you should be going to bat for me, I can't have that level of disrespect um, and those kind of instances happening as a head coach. I'm not going to be fighting with my players and subordinates. That's that's not how football is built. That's not uh, how the foundation of your team should, should look. And if I'm Coach Marone, I think it's in the best interest of the team to go ahead and move Jalen Ramsey. No, absolutely, and I think that you know people know that he's talented. I think that the Jaguars can get what they want right now. I think that they could get draft picks. I think that they could build toward the future. And I've said this over and over and over again: they can get what they want for Ramsey. If I'm if I'm the Jaguars right now and I'm going to a team, I would say, okay, listen, I want your first rounder in 2020. I want your first rounder in 2021, and I want a second rounder in 2020. I'm going to ask for two ones and a two, maybe a one and two twos. Maybe I'm going to ask for a one, a couple twos, and maybe I want another player on the team. Like, I'm going to take what I can because right now, of all the players in the 32 NFL franchises out there right now, Jalen Ramsey is a hot commodity. If I want to trade him in this moment in time, I can get a lot of value for Jalen Ramsey, and I'm going to do it so I think you know and and I've said it over and over and over again and I get it I get I understand Jalen Ramsey being frustrated because Doug Marone has I mean let's be real Jalen he has no personality so I mean but we know that he doesn't have a personality. he always looks somewhat constipated and you know I mean it's but it's real okay we know that he he always looks like somebody may or may not have you know had some flatulence around his oatmeal. He never looks happy. And and knowing that he's like that, he's not going to be the coach to go to bat for you. He's not going to be the guy to sit there and say, you know, I love my guys and I'm so... Like, if, if I'm in the locker room and we lose, I don't anticipate Doug Marone to come in there and rah-rah and get me going. I expect Doug to go, all right, everybody get a shower and I'll see you on the plane. Like, I, I just, I, I don't... I, I, he doesn't give me that vibe. And what I don't understand about Jacksonville, covering it for as long as I have, is that Tom Coughlin is there. He is in the building again. This man in his early 70s is there and has energy. Doug has no control of this locker room, and, and Tom is upstairs. And either Tom is trusting Doug... Or, I mean, I don't know what's going on, because I said, why doesn't Tom coach? Oh, well, Dan, that's crazy. He's in his 70s. Bayheim's in his 70s. I don't care who's in their 70s. Tom Coughlin should be down there coaching. He should be down there doing it. And I, I got no qualms against Doug. It's just, if I was a player, and I was on Doug's team, I would be frustrated, because after a win or after a loss, 
I can't read him. I don't know what he's thinking. He's not put, you know, I mean, I don't know everything about Doug, but I don't get the sense that he puts his arm around you and says it's going to be okay. I feel like he's the dad that you come home and he's watching TV and you need to get out of his way because he just worked all day and he wants to put his feet up and fall asleep in the couch and he wants to put the changer on his stomach and go night night. So, I mean, that's that's what I see when I see Doug. I don't see a guy who's going to be like, hey, buddy, how's your day? Let's talk about it. What's going on? What's happening? And Jalen Ramsey is that kid that's going to bounce up and down until somebody pays attention to him. And Doug is the guy who just wants to watch TV. So I don't think that that's going to work. I think Jalen Ramsey is is a prima donna, but a player that needs a ton of attention and a coach that doesn't give it is just, I mean, that that to me is its recipe for chaos, and I think that's what we're having. No, I, I think you're right. You know what? With, with Marone, there's some spots where he certainly has that colder nature, and he's going to say, yeah, he'll catch you on the back and just kind of, get you out of the way he certainly is that dad that just comes home and needs his 30 minutes um but i will say and again it kind of goes back to those, those random bits he does have his moments where he is the fiery coach and he'll come up to you and say hey that was a great job or, hey, oh my gosh let's get going like I, I always remember when he gave us the speech against missouri um on monday about how we're going to upset upset this team and it was it was the craziest 40 minutes of my life. I've never seen that much energy from him. Um, in another instance, I make a play in practice, and he runs up to me, Julian, great job. I'm like, what are you doing? This is <laughs> right? I've never seen, and that's why I said he scared me, because he was so unpredictable. He had moments, more often than not, he was quiet, calm, collected, just kind of went about his business. But then he'd have these moments, these little 10% moments, where he would go ballistic, either out of excitement or anger, and I just kind of avoided him because I just didn't want any parts at all. Um, so I think you're right in, in terms of uh, Marone's character and just the kind of guy that he is at times. But on the other side with Ramsey, uh, he certainly does need his attention, but I think the part that bothers him the most is Jalen Ramsey is the typical corner, and he has a very similar makeup that I can identify with. He is a man corner with... Uh, zero desire to play zone coverage right and when you're a man corner it means you want to be isolated on your own you want your individual freedom and i think with the jaguars with that tom coughlin 15 minutes early to a meeting principle and the amount of uh you know, that micromanagement that I, I believe that they have in yeah. the Jaguars uh, locker room, I think that that amount of controlling nature that he feels from management is suffocating to him, whether it's out of Marone, Coughlin, the entire Jaguars organization. And that makes him want to get out of there. And I think it forces him to act out because he has, I can, I, I can see it. It's an individual mindset while he does, I'm sure want the team to win. Um, He's about himself and that individual, like, I want to play the way I play. I'm a man corner. This is what I give a team. If you don't want me to do it, get me out of there. And I think he's made mention, or at least his agent has, of we're playing a lot more zone. I don't like it. This is not what I'm here for. Get me out of here. And I'm sure with the conflict with Marone, um, the conflicts with the rest of the, the organization, yeah. I'm sure it's a bit of that individual nature that he has where I cannot deal with this level 
of control and micromanagement. I think it's fully understandable. I'm sure he hacked out in Florida State or wherever else he was because of the same thing. You don't want – sometimes just there are players who cannot deal with that level of control and they ask for them – they ask to leave. And you see the bursts, you know, kind of come out in the way that they did on the sideline because of those two coaching styles and those uh, opposing views about how uh, a football team should be managed and gone about. Yeah, you know, and, and I think I, I think a, another thing that has to do with all this is, above all things, he may not like the way he's being used, but he knows that he can get away with murder because he is one of the guys on the Jaguars team that has that mentality of, you can't win without me, you can't play without me, I may be the best guy on the team, and when he's acted out and he's done stupid things, they, there's been no reprimanding of him. Everything that happened this past Sunday... They said that they're not going to reprimand him. Doug Marone said, we're, we're, you know, we didn't talk about it after the fact. He's not going to be reprimanded. So if you put your hand in the cookie jar and there's a note on the locker room wall says, put your hand in the cookie jar, we're going to cut your hand off. And he puts his hand in the cookie jar, nothing happens. He puts his hand in the cookie jar, nothing happens. He starts eating cookies. Now he's eating coaches. Now he's eating the cookies in front of Marone and Coughlin, just laughing and smiling, spilling crumbs all over the locker room because he knows they're not going to do anything. So, you know, it's like he's in a perfect position right now because whenever he breaks the rules or he acts out or he does whatever, nobody does anything. I don't know if he's going to get that on another team, but this is a textbook problem that I'm seeing in professional athletics. When somebody is talented, Antonio Brown, when somebody is talented, no matter what they do or what they say or how they act or how much of a nuisance they are, talent trumps everything. And I don't agree with it because... I don't want it in my locker room. And it's like, how much, how bad do I want to win a Super Bowl? How bad do I want to win a championship to the point where I'm going to hold my team hostage with an Antonio Brown or a Jalen Ramsey just to have a shot at winning the Super Bowl? And remember, everyone, that when Jacksonville a couple of years ago went to the brink of a Super Bowl, when they played against Pittsburgh Steelers, I was all the way to Foxborough. I was in Pittsburgh. And before that Pittsburgh game, they asked the Steelers, and some of the Steelers in the locker room said, we can't wait to face the Patriots. And Jacksonville said, well, what about us? you got to face us first. Well, they weren't concerned. They said, we want a front row seat to the Patriots. And Malik Jackson, one of my favorite Jaguars of all time, he looked me in the eye and he said, he said guess what? We gave y'all a front row seat for the Patriots. It's on your couch eating popcorn by yourself. And he said that, and it was beautiful. And then within hours, the team leaves Pittsburgh. They land in Jacksonville. And what does Jalen Ramsey do? Exactly what the Steelers had done. Steelers gave the Jaguars locker room material. The Jaguars took that medicine, used it, won the game. And then Jalen gave that medicine to a team that doesn't need it with Tom Brady and the Patriots. And he said, we're going to the Super Bowl and we're going to win that expletive. He said, we're going to go to the Super Bowl. We're going to win that. And I remember looking at it going, somebody take the mic out of his hand. And the moment that he said it, I said, now they're not. Now they're not going to the Super Bowl because they're playing really, really well right now. And, and you know Tom Brady and I know Tom Brady to this point. When they, when they say to him, Jalen Ramsey just said they're going to the Super Bowl, and he does that little grin, that little smirk, and he goes, <laughs> he's a really talented player. We'll see him on Sunday. I'm like, oh, they're going to they're gonna lose. Because you know the worst thing in the world to do is to take a guy like Tom Brady and just remind him that you think that he's not good enough, and he's going to make you pay for it. 
So remember, folks, that Jalen Ramsey has last season, last season before the season started, I hate this quarterback. This quarterback's trash. This quarterback ain't nothing. This quarterback's not this. This quarterback's not that. It's why paint a target? So yes, you're talented. You're extremely talented. But you are such a pain in the behind. You are such a terror to deal with. So I don't see the loss in Jacksonville if they get value for this guy. But I just, like, I get to a point where I say to myself, okay, Antonio, you're talented. Jalen, you're talented. There's a bunch of these talented guys. Marshawn, you're talented. But why deal with the circus that comes around it and why deal with all of the frustration and the issues and the fights in practice? I mean, Jalen Ramsey got in a fight in practice. Antonio Brown got in a fight in practice. I mean, it's like, why continue to give these men opportunities just because they're talented, knowing that they are a terror to deal with in the locker room, on the field, on the practice field? They only care about themselves at the end of the day. Well, I, I mean, I, I think it comes down to coaches and management knowing that uh talent wins super bowls uh not chemistry <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and the goal for them is to win games and if they know they can get a guy that can hold deandre hopkins to what was it 44 yards or something like that yeah. uh, that's pretty rare and if they're winning games they're making money and securing their own job so uh i think that's the most motivating factor to keep a guy like Jalen Ramsey or to go out and get a guy like Antonio Brown knowing the baggage that they come with because every coach in their mind thinks, oh, well, our system will get him right. He'll fit into our system. He'll buy in. And there's a little bit of an ego that ties into the we can handle the baggage. But I think the most motivating factor there is, well, we need this guy to shut him down or we need this guy to take care of this problem and if we have this much talent you know i think this is going to help us make a run and i mean that, that that's kind of the goal of, of every sport you want to win you have a competitive nature so you're, you'll take on the guy that may come with issues if he can help you win uh, i'm sure there's a bunch of people if lebron james came with the same issues a beer whoever else had they'd be like you know what we'll take him we'll figure it out you know it, it's just that's just human nature it seems like where if there's a, a guy that comes with all, all of this extra off the field, you know, we, we want the talent. We want even, you know, the, the, the pretty girl. You know, if she comes with all the, you know, the, the extras and, you know, is killing your pockets, you know, there's some dudes out there that still take that chance. Why? That's the pretty girl. You know, you got you got you got the one with you. So you know, we see it all throughout. It just seems to be human nature to take the ta- take the talent or or the best, no matter what the price tag is, because you have that ego that says, you know what, I'll make it work. I'll find a way. And some people, you know, even if the oven says, you know, hot, they'll still touch it and have to learn that you know you don't want to touch that stove. So. Uh, it, it's a, it's a learning process that some people just can't seem to grasp, and uh, sometimes it works out, but more often than not, it doesn't. Yeah, and let me tell you something, Jalen, really quick here to, to round out our segment, and and let me let me go ahead and put myself on the uh, on the screen here as we switch, so that people can see my eyes when I say this. When the pretty girl comes with all the extra, it ain't ever worth it. Okay, it's. <laughs> It's never worth it. It ain't never worth it. 
it's never, ever, like, forever, ever worth it. And so, you know, I've been there. I've done that. And, and, you know, I seek out the pretty girl now who has all the good stuff that goes along with it. Because I tell people all the time, how much crazy, I, I always, I ask this question, let's do the pretty factor to the crazy factor. How pretty does it have to be to deal with the crazy? And they try to think about it and they go, well, if it's a four and then a 10, I go, no, the answer is there is no amount of pretty to handle crazy. There is none whatsoever. So Jalen Ramsey is that girl that's really, really, really attractive that you really want to hang out with and you really want to bring to the movies. But she's going to throw the popcorn in your face. She's going to scream at you on the way home. She's going to grab the wheel when you're driving. She's going to fake that she's pregnant and then she's going to leave in the morning. So just get rid of it. (laughs) Oh, man. It's, no. it's true. <laughs> I fully agree with you, man. You don't want those problems. But again, there's as much as you as you could look the dude, the man, dead in the eye and tell him, and some are still gonna say, you know what? She is kind of cute, though. <laughs> I know, I know, and I know a couple of my boys on the Syracuse team that I said, I pulled them aside. I said, I love you to pieces, but you gotta you gotta think with your brain, brother. So, but I mean, it's just, huh, it's crazy and. Jalen is, he's always been a terror, but, you know, he's gotten away with it forever in a day, and God only knows how much longer they're going to let him get away with it. But trade bait, people, if Leonard Fournette can't get in from a couple yards out and Jalen Ramsey continues to be a terror, go get draft picks, go get other people. You know, freaking call Melvin Gordon. Say, Melvin, straight up, you can have Leonard, we'll take you. You don't like it there. He doesn't like it here. Let's go have fun. So, I mean, just do what you have to do. For the, you know, I mean, Jacksonville was a step out of the Super Bowl, four points out of the Super Bowl. And then last year, they beat the Patriots, forgot they had to play another 14 weeks of football. And now here they are in this situation with this. And, you know, shout out to Ronnie Harrison for moving Doug Marone away. So, you know, that that's a good thing there, Ronnie Harrison being being a talent. And Ronnie also knowing that he's a DB. So Ronnie going, listen, if I help out the head coach and get him away from this, I'm probably going to start the rest of the season. So, (laughs) but, you know, Jalen is always, I appreciate it. I thank you. Obviously, I'm going to have to have you back on the show uh, very soon because we've opened a lot of doorways and there's so much for us to talk about. So, uh, I mean, you know that I'll, I'll get you back on here, but I can't thank you enough for the comedy, the depth, and uh, just the overall conversation. I feel like we could easily make a show out of just you and I talking, so I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. I, I always enjoy coming on, man. You make it fun and easy for me, so anytime, man. Well, I appreciate it. I hope you have a good day. And listen, when you go out there today, stay away from them crazies, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> Don't don't be call don't be texting me going, but she's still cute though. I don't want to hear it. Listen, man, I might say you say, hey, she's so pretty, man. So yeah, none of that. Don't be calling me with no Ramses in your life. I don't want to hear it. Oh man, I'm trying, man. All right, brother, I'll talk to you. I'll catch you later. All right, take care. That coming once again from Julian Wiggum here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora comparing. Jalen and, and us as, as men like and women, but women can say this about men too. Okay, there's nobody attractive enough to deal with the crazy. Don't do it. Get smart. Get hip to the game.